Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead. I am Len, I am your host for this week, and I am joined by our good friend Rowan Kaiser. Hello! And today we are going to be uh, sort of scoping out the the strategy landscape uh, for 2022. Uh, What are we we looking forward to? What, What are we a little bit wary of what are maybe some smaller games that we think you should uh have on your radar that you might not have heard of um all that kind of fun stuff it's a it's a chill it's a laid back after hours lounge style 3ma this week uh Woo party <laughs> after uh after uh all the uh excitement of uh january before we dive into February, which looks like it's going to be a, a pretty busy month. Um, one of the interesting things is it's like nobody announces release dates anymore, which like I know this isn't the first year that's happened, but the latest that we have a release date for anything is actually the end of March and everything else is just like 2022 or when it's done. Um, like, I feel like a lot of the stuff we end up talking about on the show, just like it shows up on Steam one day. And nobody's ever heard of it. And then suddenly everybody gets really into it. Um, yeah, there's, I think that I think the pandemic has accelerated this because people really don't want to put deadlines. But like, I think it's just generally sort of good for the industry that uh, crunching to meet very specific dates mm-hmm. is no longer like quite as prevalent it's still pretty prevalent i'm sure there's still other ways that companies are trying to force people to crunch like worker exploitation won't go away because uh, yeah. capitalism is minorly it can be against <laughs> but well, yeah, yeah like something like total warhammer 3 like just had a release date of q4 2021 <laughs> until like mid-november when they finally right. said yeah we're doing it in february yeah yeah um, which, you know, up to that point, I had concerns like they hadn't shown two of the armies yet. And yeah. I was thinking, is this game really going to be ready for the end of the year? <laughs> if, uh, yeah. Yeah. So and, and, and it was becoming pretty much clear that, no, it was not. But they just right. hadn't bothered saying when exactly it was. And, you know, that's probably the single biggest game on the calendar, barring a surprise announcement of something. Right. Yeah, it's it's uh is at least in terms of probably overall, but definitely in terms of stuff we actually have a solid release date for. Uh Warhammer 3 February 17th I think is sort of going to be the uh the kickoff for the 2022 strategy season for the most part. Um I don't know that there's really been anything in January that was huge. I mean, we're going to be doing a show on Expeditions Rome with Troy probably next week, which is a cool little tactical RPG with some some strategy elements, um, um, but it seems like yeah, that's that's kind of when my uh, our 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 sector kicks into overdrive is going to be when Warhammer three comes out. Um, the other like big tentpole stuff like doesn't have a release date yet, like you know Company of Heroes three and and Oberworld three. Or it's an early access and we don't, you know, we have a roadmap, but we don't exactly know when like a 1.0 might materialize with something like Darkest Dungeon 2. Um, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's it seems like it's going to be a pretty exciting year uh, for strategy overall compared to last year. Where, like we couldn't really 
we played a lot of little stuff that ended up being really cool. And I feel like we're going to keep running into that where it's like they don't have PR and there's no way for like a big aggregator that like makes a list of release dates to figure out when they're coming out because nobody's heard of the developer or whatever. But then it pops up on Steam and starts getting a buzz and getting good reviews. And uh, it's it's hard to anticipate those, but it is also kind of exciting, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think we're also just getting some of the pandemic backlog stuff that right, things right. have been delayed and now they're people, you know, figured out how to try to deal with it or just ignore it and push the workers to work anyway. But uh, yeah, stuff is there's a lot more stuff that's scheduled for this year than there was last year already. And obviously something might get delayed, but more more will show up. But. You know, I think you mentioned Total Warhammer, and I think that's the best place to start as that yeah. is the biggest one and one of the soonest ones. And you just did a preview of it. So that that is that is our our initial tent poll. And there might be a couple others that we get as or more excited about. But, you know, we're we have been completely on board the Total Warhammer train from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Stray sevens aside. <laughs> um, and Rob, Rob occasionally throws some shade. Uh, he, 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 there are occasionally some grumblings about how everyone else likes Total War Warhammer more than he does, but, uh, yeah, I think, uh, I, from what I've played of it, it seems pretty cool. It's, it's hard to say, uh, cause we only got to play 50 turns and obviously it Total War is, you know, it's a 200 turn game. And if the last 150 turns are not as good as the first 50 turns, you don't really have anything. Um, but the first 50 turns are good. I can say that much. I can say I'm looking forward to playing more of it. Um, this is this is also a really notable thing with Total War recently is that like the first 50 turns will go by in like, you know, two or three hours. Oh, whereas yeah. you can take two or three hours for t- single turns in later parts of the game. Like Three Kingdoms was especially notable at this because like the first decade of that game... Uh, you know, usually 190 to 200 or so is like sort of just posturing around, mixing things up a bit. And then like once you get to the actual Three Kingdoms era, it's just very slow going of dozens of armies fighting each other every turn. Right, right. Like that that initial putting out yellow turbine fires phase is just like... You kind of know what you're doing on any given turn because you just have stuff to deal with, and uh, yeah, you're not and, really and you, you get plans. these times where like yeah, you have fought only one other faction for the those entire that entire time period. So like uh, Warhammer has a bit more variety, and it sounds like this one they're really trying to get like everyone in the mix with each other from the start. Right, right. That and that was one of my favorite things of what little I did play of it is that you're running into all the other major faction leaders all the time because you're all kind of competing in this battle Royale chaos games thing where you have to invade all the different chaos realms, which is cool because in, in Warhammer two, and especially in mortal empires, if you're playing as like Cetra or whatever, you might never run into, uh, you know, Marathi or, or Malekith because they're just an entire world away, but this kind of gives you a reason to bump into, um, the other, you know, the, the people you want to see, the people you want to fight, which yeah, is cool. th- This was the reason that, like, I recommended the Empire at the start for someone starting with Total Warhammer 1 was because, like, 
they would have literally every other faction near them. And like, if you're playing the dwarfs, you could just like only see the greenskins for years and years and years. Right. Yeah. Especially uh, before they, they added more variety down there. Um, yeah. So, so, so I think it sounds like total Warhammer three has done a very good job of trying to fix like some of those, some of those issues with the the start of the game. So that makes it pretty exciting. Um, even beyond the pedigree, it sounds like they're, they're making some moves in directions that I'd like to see. Definitely. Um, I'm sure we'll talk for, you know, hours. <laughs> we might end up with a, with a two plus hour show. And when we've actually finally all had our chances to uh, dig into that one uh, in February. Um, so speaking of three kingdoms though, is, should we be as a as a three kingdoms aficionado? Should we be keeping our eye at all on Dynasty Warriors Nine Empires? I mean, um, that's it's Empires is like the vaguely strategy sort of right. Um, uh, emergent kind of narrative Dynasty Warriors, as opposed to the sort of on rails Dynasty Warriors of the the regular versions, which in many ways, I think, especially with more recent ones, has been uh, a vast improvement. But not it's not not Dynasty Warriors. <laughs> you're still you're still doing all the stuff that you've probably made a decision about whether you enjoy it twenty years ago already. Because I played, I did play Dynasty Warriors Eight Empires, and I I liked that. But everybody hated Nine so much. Do you think they could save it by adding strategy elements? I I, I never played it. I just trusted, you know, people like Brian yeah. when he said he hated it. Uh, it sounds like it needed more structure, more than anything. So that could be a strong benefit. But yeah, I, sorry, I I'm not I'm not able to. To, to say too much about that. Oh, we'll have to... I guess we'll just find out what Brian thinks then. <laughs> Decide if it's worth uh, giving a look. Um, there's also two um, uh, kind of tactical JRPG type games coming out uh, in late February, early March. Uh, Triangle Strategy for the Switch, which I think we've talked about. We've at least mentioned it a couple times um, on... Uh, on the show terrible title but it looks like it could be an interesting um sort of final fantasy tactics style game um that has has some interesting things going on and then the one i just found out today is called monarch uh which is very it's it's very like classic jrpg like high school students looking thing um but it's got some some tactical elements there that that i think elevated above the typical um just turn-based jrpg to where it might actually deserve to be a tactics game where they've got interesting stuff going on with the back line and the front line and this is, how this you is characters and stuff this is just persona cross other side <laughs> and i think that you should be honest with our listeners about what your interests here are I mean, I do really like the Persona series, um, but this the reason this is actually on the list is because I was trying to fit in as many like smaller games that I had not heard of before uh, instead of just like the big obvious stuff. And I was like, yeah, this looks like it could be 
you know, more more toward tactics than just like a plain old hardy RPG. So, yeah, I think one of the issues with any kind of JRPG style tactics games is that like, have I ever given you my theory of uh, JRPGs and number of bullshits? I have heard this theory before, but maybe some of the newer listeners would like to hear it. <laughs> so a JRPG <laughs> usually has some measure of bullshit. Like you have you have kind of a core Final Fantasy style or Dragon Quest style or Final Fantasy Tactics style in this case. Uh, you know, a simple game of you press attack, your character attacks. You press magic, your character does some magic. Fine. And then there's a twist. There's a single piece of bullshit that twists it up a little bit. Final Fantasy always had one twist and when it was, you know, at its peak. And Final Fantasy VII, it was materia. You can, like, link your materias. You can mm-hmm. swap them from character to character. You can, like, build super customized things where one character builds up the materia super fast. Um, in Final Fantasy VIII, that gets attached to uh, the Guardian Forces, which are the summons that your characters have. You can bounce those around, etc., etc. Uh, as the as the genre has kind of developed more and more different types of bullshit get added, especially (laughs) multiple bullshits per game. And like my general theory is that one bullshit is very good. You want, you want one little (laughs) twist that's going to make this like, okay, this is a regular combat, except now you're also doing, you know, you're trying to make the orbs on your sword grow a little bit more, or you're trying to, uh, you know, develop the items that you're carrying because when the items get developed, then you can like go inside them and level up like this guy has, you know, all these, all these various aspects of it. But when you start putting multiple of those going at the same time, that's when they kind of start to fall apart is just because it gets so I don't want to say so confusing because it is possible to understand, but it gets like increasingly detached from anything that sort of makes conventional sense. You have to really, really commit to it. And sometimes you just don't really want to commit to it. Uh, So something like the Bravely Default series. Well, I played, I played the second one, which I think is the one that people hated. And maybe, uh, maybe the reasons that I hated it are somewhat different from this. And, but it was, it had like three different pieces of bullshit where you could like, (laughs) brave and default to stop your turn or make your turns go faster and then like it had the final fantasy 5 or final fantasy tactics class changing system and then they like would toss in some other random things that i was just like i don't i don't know like how i can get a feel of mastery for this um and yeah, it, it just was super off-putting. And then like you get to, you know, JRPG tactics games and this becomes exacerbated by just the the fact that you're moving people around somewhat. So it's it's more complicated kind of inherently. Um, but it could still be done very well. Like I mentioned Other Side, which you loved mm-hmm. a lot and had oh, like yeah. a very solid piece of bullshit. Right. Yeah. It was it was the number of things you had that you could potentially do on any given turn was just like the right number uh, to make it interesting, which I think is another reason that I, I ended up liking Old World uh, so much uh, is just it, it kept it simple in that way. Where Yeah, 
Not too yeah, many so, bullshits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the forex bullshit is. <laughs> yeah. We can we can we can I, get into that. I just had a chat with uh, Soren Johnson that you might be seeing some of in print soon about how there's a critical mass point with every forex game where if you add any more systems, you're actively making the game worse. And so much of forex development is figuring out where that point is, uh, which is very yeah. similar to the phenomenon you're describing. That's a that's a very interesting theory, and I'm not quite sure about it because. Anyway, I'll go back to the JRPGs, okay. and then we can switch <laughs> up with four X's for a moment. But like, yeah, any any kind of tactics game, there's this possibility, and when you just you know you you send me a website to this Monarch game, like maybe this is superb at it, this, yeah. or maybe it's just like a pile of random bullshit that I don't care about at all, and like that's that's just kind of a harder thing to do because uh so much of any kind of any kind of rpg but especially a, a sort of stylized story-based japanese rpg is built on like how much are you going to invest your caring into it from the start and yeah that's sorry, true I, I just looked at the website and it said that egg analysis at the start and then i realized or at the top and i was like what is what what is lynn putting up here we'd already passed this part of our uh, um, but yeah. it actually is ego analysis yeah would you yeah. like to diagnose your ego yeah <laughs> yeah let's yeah, let's okay go for it. so this has a bud buzzfeed quiz attached to it so maybe that's a oh good way God. to get attached to the characters from the start yeah um so <laughs> The one other thing we do have a release date for is Starship Troopers Terran Command, which I don't. Well, let's let's kind of talk about these things in in batches, right? Okay. Like, because uh, we don't like the release dates can always change. Okay. Um, but we have we have several games that are trying to bring classic real time strategy back this year. Uh, That's true. Yeah. When, when was it that Fraser said was the year of the RTS? Was that 2020? I don't even remember. It was I, I, probably I it was, was twenty twenty. Yeah, I think it was twenty twenty. But our good, our good friend Fraser Brown like started to do a series that was built on the idea that there were you know more more classic style RTSs coming out, and it was a genre that should come back, and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, kind of like gotten really hyped to to uh -huh. build up like analysis, new games, reviews, et cetera, et cetera, and then. Um, the pandemic happened and I think everything just went completely went to shit everywhere. Pretty much. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, yeah, he, I think he got super depressed about the year of the RTS and it got postponed or, or canceled. Uh, yeah. But it seems to have been postponed into this year because we have these games like the Starship Troopers, but especially... Um, we have uh, Company of Heroes 3 and Homeworld 3 and another Dune game. Right. Uh, which I think the, the Dune game is going to be more of a 4X than a, um, an RTS. It is from the developers of Northgard. The way they described it to me, at least, it sounded a little bit more 4X-y with some real-time elements. Um, well, an, an important thing to remember about um, what 4X actually means is that a base a basic RTS fits that category. True. It's just faster. It's like a it's like a one hour four X yeah. game. 
Yeah, I mean, Sins of a Cellar Empire was sort of a, you know, it was an RTS 4X. There, there have been No, others. I mean, I, do, I don't mean like there are hybrids that exist. I mean, the process of explore, expand, exploit, and oh, exterminate right, yeah. is exactly what you do in a RTS game. Like That's that's, that's what, yeah. And so, like, when people say we're doing a 4X RTS, that doesn't actually mean anything to me until I actually see what's going on. Does this mean that they're trying to do, like, a Rise of Nations thing where they're combining Civ elements? Does this mean that they're just doing an RTS, but they realized what I just said is actually (laughs) true? Have you uh have you played I know a few of us have. Have you played Company of Heroes 3 at all yet? With any, I'm any not, of the I am, I'm not currently in the preview game. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I I mean I know there is at least I don't know if I should say who it is. There is at least one member of the regular 3MA round table who is not very thrilled with it. Um but I like what I've played so far. Um it feels like company of heroes it doesn't really feel like they've they've changed a whole lot but that's one series where i would say for the most part don't fix what isn't broken they're trying to do like a total war style campaign map now it's sort of remains to be seen how well that's going to work out well Um, i mean remember that like (sighs) we had when we did our our show on like dynamic campaigns Mm-hmm. That was basically a Trojan horse so that Fraser and Rob could talk about how great the Company of Heroes Art and Assault campaign was. Which it was. And, I agree with them on that. <laughs> and and it sounds like this <laughs> this game, like they listened to this podcast and we might have had a little bit too much influence, like all the people um, who listened to us <laughs> talk shit about Space 4Xs and they were like, all right, we're labeling this Nebula. Now we got a map. Take that, 3MA. <laughs> I know, I do know that one of the, like, principal uh, Company of Heroes developers is a regular 3MA listener and, like, asks us to be on the show as opposed to the other way around. So, yeah, um, yeah. if if you have any ideas, Rowan, right at this moment that you would like to see in Company (laughs) of Heroes 3, let's go ahead and list them out. Um, To to be quite honest, I have played like two hours of Company of Heroes 1, and that is it. I just... Oh, okay. uh, The the sort of very conventional World War II... uh, World War II, like, aesthetic doesn't appeal to me. So, like, I I kind of missed my... It's not something I intentionally went back to go see and uh i kind of missed it when it started coming out and yeah never had the motivation to really get into it i would say give our dennis salt a look if if it if you see it on sale or something i I did really good i did get it on a steam sale at some point after that show so it's it's available if i ever do like say i really want that that rts feeling but i rarely do yeah I mean, like the tactical stuff of what I played is it's it's great. Um, the the question I have with the the more like the total war style campaign um, is will is it going to be too complicated? Because Ardenna Salt was fairly simple, you know, in terms of like what resources were available to you, and there was like province capture and and you know cutting off enemies so they couldn't you know go join and basically bulk up a position you were going to have to assault later. 
Um, and theoretically, all of that stuff can happen on the new campaign map. I, I wonder if it's going to feel like too much. I'm not saying it will. I'm I'm wondering. That is the question that I have for Company of Heroes I mean, 3. This is something that we've talked yeah. about. It is like kind of at the core of how I talk about strategy games that have like a mixed strategy and tactics element is that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which one of them takes priority. And if they're both like roughly equally complex and difficult, that tends to not work. So the more right. complex the the strategic overlay is, uh, the more dangerous they're the more dangerous territory they're getting into. Yeah, for sure. But uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I definitely am. That's that's one that is on my radar that I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to like this. <laughs> I think there's yeah. a small, a fairly small chance that I will not enjoy this game. Well, um, you, you had you had a pretty notable preview, right? Oh, yeah. I got to play quite a bit of it. Um, I got to play... The, the campaign stuff was clearly unfinished, but like the tactical maps that we saw, it, it felt like, you know, Company of Heroes 2 plus, you know, and, and in some ways they're taking out mechanics that were maybe not <laughs> that interesting to play with. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I like what I've played of it so far. Um, we'll see if they can convince John. Uh, <laughs> um I mean, John can just be grumpy. It's great. He we can. enjoy that about you him. Know, I think we all uh, we all have our times to be grumpy. Um, so yeah, we we also have Homeworld three ahead of us, which is very interesting. As Homeworld is sort of one of those games that was a breath of fresh air to right for those of us who were sick of the the generic RTS that had completely taken over strategy games at that time. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I guess this one's harder to talk about because, like, none of us have played it, and we haven't even actually really seen that much of it yet. Yeah, um, I've I've done some interviews with them about it, so they've told me about all these things. They're going to be great. They're talking about mega structures in space and how you're going to be able to like have bottlenecks and navigate around them in 3D and all this cool stuff. Uh, it's just hard to it's it's hard to get your head around it without actually at least like seeing some some gameplay uh it it's also interesting because it feels like had they announced this like a year or two after deserts of karak we would have been all over it because that was Mm -hmm. like i don't know easily the best conventional style rts of the past decade i Oh, I, I yeah, think. I loved Deserts of Karak. That was that and was, that, and that was like a shock. We were not expecting yeah. much. It's like, oh, look, these some jerks are resurrecting the <laughs> the homeworld name, and it's not even in space. How's that gonna work? But it worked. They technically everything's in space. <laughs> Thank um, you. you. You've got a you've got a tagline for the show. Now. Well, well, actually. Um, <clears throat> everything is in space um but you know they they had it end up being functionally like a naval warfare game uh it's just that the ocean was oceans of sand which was uh you know aesthetically interesting but i feel like all of the momentum they might have had after that kind of disappeared is this is this still being done by gearbox it is i believe it's gearbox yeah i feel like gearbox has taken Many, many PR hits. Uh, there are some CEOs who should not be on Twitter or at yeah. Medieval Times. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. Um, the the it, it was interesting when uh, Paradox went public. Their CEO stopped tweeting, and I think that's probably yeah. what probably what you should do. Like that's probably the smart play. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, I you know I I'm. I guess with Homeworld 3, it's less that I'm looking forward to playing it as I am looking forward to seeing more of it. Because yeah. I don't feel like I have a good idea in my head of what it's going to look like yet. Um, so, and, and I think that's also a good thing to do with uh, the Dune game. Uh, have you paid right. much attention to that? Right. And I did a little interview with that, too. And yeah, it's very similar, where they've described a lot of things to me that sound great with it. Um it sounds like it's going to have a lot of character focus. Like you, you, you're going to make a roster of, you know, famous Dune guys and girls uh, that are going to be kind of like your build. You're, you'll have your faction. And then based on what characters you pick to be, or I forget which proper noun they used Praetorians or something. I've got <laughs> expeditions Rome on the brain. Uh, that'll, that'll sort of you define... do love Roman culture. Oh yeah, I'm the biggest Rome fan. Um, I definitely don't think that they uh, are the main bad guys of history or anything like that. Um, <laughs> what an oddly specific phrase. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, I mean, and we all—I think we all pretty much, you know, loved Northgard. I think it's the most successful multiplayer game that we've had on our super secret discord server that you can gain access to by subscribing to three moves ahead on patreon.com. Um, wow. I, I think we go back to Northgard more than we go back to maybe any other game besides steel division, because it's just such a, a nice little drop in drop out kind of chill RTS with like worker placement. And this sounds like it's going to be a little bit more complicated. Um, than that probably they said it's more like a three hour game versus something you can finish in 30 minutes to an hour um but i i trust the developers i mean i i haven't been you know disappointed by them yet dune is a cool universe for this kind of game the economic aspects of it uh the political aspects of it it sounds like I they hate, have the right idea. I hate Dune as a setting, so don't come to me for any backup here. What is your uh, what is your what are your main gripes with Dune as a setting? I'm curious. I I just I read the books at a very formative age for uh-huh. haterness. Okay. And just thought they were uh, the first book. I should not say the books. Yeah. It's long enough to be six different books, but I just thought the whole thing was intolerable. Fair enough. Fair enough. Perhaps, perhaps someone will convince me to watch this movie and and give a damn. But yeah, this, this is not a game that I'm actually likely to check out unless people are talking about it like it's the greatest single video game that's ever existed. I I think you should check the movie out it, just because it Villeneuve did some really interesting stuff. I also uh, hated Arrival, so just that interesting. That was a movie that never stood a fucking chance of me wanting to watch it interesting Unless. okay all right all right well maybe you wouldn't like it then i don't know it's yeah like... i mean it's it's you never know uh I've, I've flipped i've changed my mind i've i've missed expectations uh i i thought i was gonna hate dragon age 2 and, and now it's my favorite game whenever i talk to you so <laughs> 
specifically when you're when you're talking to me. Yeah, yeah, um, it's a perfectly fine RPG otherwise. But when talking when talking to Lynn, it's it's my favorite RPG of all time. <laughs> uh, well, you know the the game on this list that I look at, and I'm I'm most interested in hearing the Rowan uh, prognosis. Are we talking? Uh, are we talking Midnight Suns? Yes, we are. Uh, yeah. How how what is your vibe on on Midnight Suns so far? Look, all all I know is like what came out of that first trailer and a couple articles I read. But I am really hyped for incredibly shitty '90s comic book bullshit. <laughs> this is and you would this be. is this no. is maybe the opposite of what anyone would expect, given how much shit I've been talking so far. But yeah, I'm. You know, I, I trust for access kind of despite myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, not like trust as it, I'm going to say everyone should definitely get this game, but like the idea of what this game could be of like a, a kind of card game, tactical Marvel ultimate Alliance that actually has like a coherent art style of insane 90s comic book bullshit like there there's a dream of what that game could be that's something that i throw myself into semi-ironically but completely earnestly well i think there might be people who don't know that like marvel plus for axis uh you created like every (laughs) single marvel character in existence in xcom at one point (laughs) At multiple points, and maybe not, not every single points. one that existed. However, yeah, I did do for XCOM Two: uh, The Long War uh, a mod of it was you know every major X Men and X Men related character, which ended up being about a hundred and forty characters when I when I gave up. <laughs> um, when I got to the point of whether I was trying to decide if Sienna Blaze should be in it or not, I was like, you know, I've I think that this is this is a this is a good stopping point. Yeah, uh, this yeah. was this was also as I was making an attempt to read every X Men comic or every relevant X Men comic, uh, and stalled out in the '90s when characters like Sienna Blaze were like, God, that was. Ask your ask your parents, kids. This was a nightmare of a time for uh, for geek culture. See, um, I was watching I was watching the cartoon in the nineties, and I went back and read some of the actual comics that came out during that era. But I certainly have not read them comprehensively. So I might uh, I might bother you for a reading list of uh, what what might be the best runs to look at before we get. You know, for Axis's version of over the top '90s bullshit X Men. Well, the thing is, is that like over the top '90s bullshit is the worst era of comics. Like this isn't even really especially controversial. Everything was like hyper masculine, no concept of subversion, uh, extremely earnest soap opera stuff of dudes with incredibly huge muscles. <laughs> Uh, we won like the that, cold war uh two, the two. nafta is great uh the economy's great yeah however uh, like as later writers have kind of come over to those 90s comics uh and kind of like sifted through it to take out 
what's what's interesting there, what can be used. I think that like good stuff has been found. So like I really like the X Men, the the X Men stories of the climax of the post M Day era uh, in like two thousand eight, two thousand nine or so, where basically all the '90s supervillains have gotten together and been corrupted by time traveling the blah 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 but it's like a sort of a redeemed 90s storytelling in the 2000s with a very strong serialized hook that and actual good writers and artists well some of the artists um and like i i really enjoyed that era and did not enjoy the actual 90s comics all that all that much um so i think that it's it's kind of a style of um earnest heavy metal ridiculousness that <laughs> is pretty ripe for uh kind of what we might call um superhero culture um like uh, you know the the way that Marvel has a hard house style, the way that DC has a slightly darker house style. Uh, that that kind of thing, I think, could be attached to um, the the earnest '90s, uh, you know, retro retro post Cold War visions in a way that would be both ridiculous and interesting in a potentially or potentially both ridiculous and interesting. This is not meant to be an endorsement of what looks like an absolute mess of a video game project. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. This is, this is something that I think could be a complete disaster. I think that like if, if people were making a list of the most, you know, the the big strategy games of 2022 and were asked to pick which one they think might be the, the, the one that everyone yells at, they would be entirely <laughs> right to pick this one. It's just that that's also the reason that I'm kind of like, you know, this might actually work really well, or it might only work for me. Like I have, yeah. I have a group of friends who are like, want to play and replay cyberpunk 2077 over and over and it's just like sometimes i want to yell at them that everyone hates this game and sometimes i'm just like you know this is pure you can enjoy yourselves yeah i think uh ian boudreau was one of the cyberpunk 2077 defenders uh yeah which i've never really dug into him with with him why exactly he liked it so much but i do know a few people who really strongly defend that game uh so yeah these aren't even friends who like defend the game so much it's like they get a new video card and they're like man cyberpunk's gonna look really good on this i can't wait to replay it yeah yeah you know there, there are games that come along like that i think um, and so so yeah my take on midnight suns is that yeah this could be a disaster but the fact that it could be a disaster is more interesting to me than here's a safe sequel um out of curiosity if someone was if you could pick any developer to make an x-men tactics game like who do you think would be the best at that i mean i've been asking for for access to kind of sell those rights or franchise those rights for a while like they have an extremely good system that 
I yeah. think that many developers could be could be able to do so you know letting that that out into the wild and everyone everyone gets an XCOM game but for Axis making a Marvel game is uh I think an extremely interesting thing I just don't think they're actually making XCOM they've said specifically that they're doing a very different system and maybe that's like that that Dune 4X thing that we talked about where it's not actually that different. They're just kind of using some buzzwords, but mm-hmm. it sounds like they're having like maybe some kind of real-time turd-based hybrid with cards mm-hmm. and not at all an XCOM-like. I don't, I I, I don't again, I can't picture what it's going to look like. <laughs> like yeah. From what they've said so far, I don't actually know what I'm as as Evan Lottie would say, I don't know what my verbs are going to be in this game. Um, <laughs> other than, you know, probably snicting and I don't know, like there it's yeah, I'm 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 curious. Um The other thing is that Nico Minoru is in that game, as is Magic, Iliata Rasputin, but the bad version. So these are these are two excellent, excellent goth girls from Marvel <laughs> Comics, and I'm I'm gonna be a sucker for that. I'm always always on board for some some goth girls, yeah, for sure. Um, uh, the other thing is that like with with comic games that kind of embrace the culture and have like it's it's hard to say because there's so many comic there's so many Marvel games um, that like oh yeah you can go and get skins for whatever character like you can get a kate bishop skin for hawkeye that kind of thing that one got me hooked on their diablo like for well not hooked on but uh, that was a good game i like having me attempting to play that game multiple times and never really (laughs) never really landing but it's like give me the kate bishop hawkeye skin yeah (laughs) um but like the way Ultimate Alliance used like the different skins that you could unlock of the, each of the characters through comics history was just like oddly perfect. Yeah, in a way that I I would need time to put my finger on, but it looks like Midnight Suns is exactly the sort of game where they could do that really well. And maybe it's just like having a shiny squad based game. That's all it takes. Well, and, yeah. Uh, did you have you played any of the Spider-Man PS4 game? Because I think it does that same thing really. Well. No, I, I do um, not have a PS4, but I would like to. And that goes back to I think Spider-Man 64. Like I remember having trying to do all the time trials to like unlock the Ben Riley suit and stuff, and that's that's always really satisfying for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, I think. I think having it be a thing that you like get through the game instead of just paying $500 for 50 crystals and using right. or whatever, that might, that might just be the only difference between like the random toss in of here's a, here's a particular Hawkeye thing versus why I thought that ultimate Alliance was so damn cool. Well, the game that, to me, I would say is, is the one that like, man, I really hope this is good, but it could, it could just absolutely be a disaster. I think is Kerbal Space Program three, or it's two. I don't know why I put a three there. I've had too much to drink already. Before, well, I was making the show notes, not even before we even hit record. Apparently, uh, Kerbal Space Program two. I loved the first game. It obviously has some management elements in terms of uh, 
if if you want to play if you want to play if it real you want to play with like the budget settings and like the science settings where you have to like actually go do experiments on the moon to unlock better rockets and stuff to go to their version of mars and stuff um it just seems very ambitious and the fact that some of the original developers are involved but it's changed hands at some point um i just don't know um it's yeah, it's, this... it's i'm very nervous about it as a sequel to one of my favorite games ever were, were you paying much attention whenever quest 2 came out i was aware of it yeah uh-huh. Yeah, like I I don't know how how deep you were into WoW culture, but like um EverQuest 2 was like the big response to World of Warcraft that EverQuest was going to be back on the map and it was like here are all the cool things that we're doing, but they never actually made it in a way that was like this is why this game should exist instead of just making the original EverQuest better. So now you mm-hmm. can still go and play EverQuest, but EverQuest 2 is like, maybe you can still go and play it, but I think it's pretty much just disappeared. And the Kerbal Space Program is like a game that people invested so much of their lives in in the same way that it's like, if you're trying to make a sequel to that, like this is this is going to be rough. Yeah, well, and, and this could even tie back into our theme of, of too much bullshit, uh, which is... They're apparently adding like FTL drives and stuff, and you can go build bases and other star systems. And I'm like, yeah, is that gonna be too much though? Like, <laughs> it was yeah, kind of cool. Is that what people actually want out of this? Yeah, I, my impression is that the the whole joy of Kerbal Space Program. This is a game I bounced off of. It was like this is this sort of like hard science kind of thing is mm-hmm. is like uh, yeah, I can see why people like this, and this is absolutely not my thing. Um, it's it's science wordle basically uh <laughs> it, it uh like the whole joy of that is putting fins on a ship to see if it flies better launching it into space watching it blow up spectacularly and realizing oh well if i put the fins on at this angle it's gonna work better and try again right yeah yeah well and i think you know Kerbal Space Program has a really nice progression where I think by the time you ran out of stuff to do, you were kind of getting tired of it anyway. Like when you can start sending actual living, breathing astronauts to like the outer planets. Like, I don't know if necessarily know if you can extend that further and keep it being fun. If you can say, all right, well, now you unlock the tech to go to the next star system. And it's like, is that going to be different enough is that like, I want to keep playing at that point. I don't know. Um, so, so yeah, this yeah. is, this seems like a huge risk. Like if someone said, yeah. if, if Microsoft said we're making Minecraft too. Yeah. 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 Fir- absolutely. My first reaction would not be like, Oh my God, people are going to be so excited. My first reaction is, Oh dear God, you better have a really good announcement. Right. Right. Like, why would you not like they've been updating Minecraft for 10 years and it's been going great. So why would you need to make a new game? Right. Yeah. Um, so, so what, what, what is your impression of Marvel's midnight sun? Since uh, okay. I, I just went on a ramble there. <laughs> I mean, I love, I love, Almost everything Firaxis has done recently. I think I Civ Six really grew on me, and I really like XCOM, and maybe to a somewhat lesser degree XCOM Two. Um, and you know, <laughs> you say I was reading an article where 
uh, some some strategy game guy. I think a former for Access guy started a new company, and he was like, "I wanted to do what for strategy games today, what we did for strategy games ten years ago with XCOM." And I'm just like, "I just oh, died." No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> uh, oh, no, 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 no. Um, and obviously, I'm you know I'm a Marvel fan. I'm an X Men fan. I grew up with the X Men, like the '90s X Men cartoon. Um, I'm definitely into the earnest heavy metal type uh, bullshit that you're talking about. Uh, I can I can appreciate that. I just don't I don't know what this game's gonna look like. I want to see it's it's in the same place as Homeworld Three for me, where it's like show me what the game looks like. Yeah. Show me what I'm gonna be doing. Uh, that's my that's kind of my where i stand on it so far um that's fair i didn't and actually I think, play I think chimera that is... squad that's that's notable um but uh yeah that that's the sane way to deal with that 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 is how <laughs> i'm i'm dealing with it in like actuality yeah. uh-huh. but if you're going and saying rowan what's the 2022 game that you actually have the most potential interest in and why and like this is this is all just going by vibes i think uh-huh. i think that big dumb vibe might be might be exactly what i want my my answer to that which amazingly somehow i looked at two different lists on two different sites and and somehow missed it that game for me would be victoria 3 um oh yeah which uh you know i i think victoria was an amazing idea that came along too early in paradox's life cycle for them to execute on it in a way that uh might have made it a an all-time great game um i think martin anward who is the lead designer on that is probably the person at at paradox that i would i would be most excited to hear is leading a new project at this point um especially a new project that's about like exercising soft power right right um, that, which that's I what crave. Martin did yeah. in his Crusader yeah. King two mods. That's what Martin like tried to add to Solaris and EU four. Like this is this this seems like an ideal place for him to actually build a game from the ground up about not just you know building the biggest armies and smashing everything, but like balancing economics, balancing different groups' interests and right right. Yeah, I think I think Victoria two, three is you know that's the real answer for the game to get most excited about. Except if you're like totally on board with Total Warhammer <laughs> three, which, uh, yeah. but like that's still Total Warhammer three. We know what we're getting with a Total War game. We've known for twenty right, years. Right. Yeah, I, th- and I think Vic- yeah, Victoria Vic- three might be new and special. It has all of the ingredients to be my strategy game of the year. Um, it's just going to be a matter of are all of those ingredients going to come together in a soup that is actually fun to play? Because uh, that's always the big, you know, the big question um, when you know, they haven't had any, they haven't given us any hands on time with it. I remember Troy saying at some point last year that he hoped we'd have some hands on by the end of the year and we, we have it. So. Yeah, well, tisk, you know, tisk. the pandemic came back. You. I scold thee, Troy. I scold thee. Um, the pandemic uh, came back, and Paradox <laughs> had some issues. They did, yeah. Um, so, yeah that that might be that might be the game I'm most most interested in or most looking forward to. Um, I, I, I people have 
flipped out over the fact that they're changing how combat works, where you're not going to actually move armies around on the map. To me, that's Which is like so a flaw. Good. Yeah, like so that's good. a to me, honestly. Um, like I have yeah. dreamed of a Roman game where you're like you're choosing yeah. which provinces that you're like reinforcing as the barbarians are at the gate, and you like have limited limited troops, and you're like, okay, where can I put these generals where they won't declare a civil war on me? Right. I, I imprinted on Annals of Rome at a very young age. Um, that's a that's a joke for Troy and Troy alone. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like an indirect control over an empire's military is as long as there's other stuff to do in the game that gives you that feeling of satisfaction. Which yeah. if you're building from the ground up, yes. Like if you're just saying, oh, what if Mass Effect didn't have combat in it? That would fucking suck. But <laughs> if you're building a 19th century strategy game from the ground up where combat is entirely indirect, like, yeah, give me that shit. Yeah, I think, and here, here's, here's a secret uh, that, that some people might not know. I kind of, despite the fact that they're two of my favorite games, I kind of think that warfare in Crusader Kings and Europa Universalis 4 kind of sucks. Um like it's just I don't find it fun. I think Hearts of Iron and Imperator were actually the two paradox games where warfare was actually fun, and it's because they both have a robust logistics systems, or at least Imperator did after a few patches. Um, stack combat in E4, it's uh, it it's whatever. It's like people say, oh, there's nothing to do when you're not at war, and I'm like, I think war is literally the most boring part of this game. I think um, both of those things are true, yeah. which is which is one of the really interesting aspects of the paradox style is that like EU four. This is especially true for um, the the era that it, it it simulates, but like the idea that everything you are doing is geared towards being better at war, and war is like the test of your strategy on everything else. And then your success at the other things manifest in war. You succeed. You get to go do the other things for a little bit. But warfare remains basically how you are. Um, mm-hmm. How you're basically proving that your strategy is right. So the warfare itself is usually pretty good. But sometimes when you get like stuck stack chasing down and you know having to take out forts just to get one last army like it can get bad but um yeah it's it's the point where the game like the game's tension kind of releases and that release comes as either good or bad and i think that's uh that makes it like an essential part of eu4 you can't pull the warfare out of eu4 and, it's uh, just that it's also not really entertaining warfare <laughs> in and of itself. And, and this this goes back to like when we had Brett Devereaux on the show. Uh, yeah, so this he's... is definitely a theory that is influenced by our discussion with Brett. Yeah, where where he says uh, EU four one of the <clears throat> as an educator, one of the things he thinks is most <clears throat> impressive about it is how good it is at simulating. Uh, 
the the state of interstate anarchy where like it's kind of a free-for-all and i think why i find the victoria time period um so interesting is it's it's kind of shifted from that to a thing where if if anything happens that's going to like change the balance of power all of the great powers are kind of interested in that in some way so either you are one of the giants that has to navigate the balance of power with these other giants or you're walking under the feet of the giants trying to get what you want without one of them stepping on you which i just think versus eu4's interstate anarchy is kind of a more interesting strategic and economic and political situation to me yeah i think i think that's potentially true like i don't yeah we'll see how it actually works but the idea of using that balance of power as somewhat more formal but not actually necessarily more formal i think is is an interesting is an interesting potential game decision because like I've, i've talked about at its core eu4 all always knew what it was which was kind of a diplomatic military system where the idea was to get yourself the strongest possible alliance to be able to chew up weaker alliances before another stronger alliance, even stronger than that alliance came and mm-hmm. got you. Like, and having a game in an era that's tried to codify that, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of potential things that can be done. And again, with a designer that you and I both, we've, we've both seen what he has done and we we trust him to do interesting things with difficult problems like that. And, you know, they have a council Republic government mechanic, so I can show all of the uh, gamer boys on YouTube. Uh, Communism isn't Stalinism. This is what communism is supposed to look like. You should, uh, you should, you should do some reading. Vengeance (laughs) is absolutely the most important part of that, especially if it's vengeance on behalf of Stalin. I mean, uh, uh, (laughs) There, there you go. There you go. A um, couple other things I wanted to hit before we get out of here. One being uh, these games like um, Industries of Titan and Darkest Dungeon 2, where like we've played oh, them. Oh, yeah. We, we, we have some really <laughs> interesting early access games. Yeah. And it's like early access is around to stay. It's weird to be like, are, is this a 2021 game? Is this a 2022 game? Uh, is this just like a thing where, okay, the, this is how it is now is just, we're going to be waiting for a new darkest dungeon two chapter every few months. And that's just video games. Um, how do you feel about, uh, how do you feel about that sort of model of releasing and specifically these few games that are sort of in the process of making their way to a completed stage right now? I mean, this is frustrating <clears throat> for us. Like, at a level of people who are organizing a podcast or people who are pitching articles, trying to be an expert on strategy games, even just a fan of all kinds of strategy games. Like this makes things very difficult for us. Let's be real. Like this is not, uh, this is not nothing. Uh, it, it does sort of make it difficult for the people who are the filters on games like this to, actually effectively be filters uh, a game like darkest dungeon like we know that they have roughly a one-year plan um mm-hmm. they've said that that's 
that's what they want to do, like they did with Darkest Dungeon 1. They did it successfully with Darkest Dungeon 1. They had some major important additions that changed Darkest Dungeon 1 from a super interesting idea with a lot of potential to a really fantastic game. And so, like, yeah, that one I'm less concerned about, but we have so many city builders that we've played or haven't played yet that are, like, they're in some level of early access and figuring out the point where it's early enough that we care about it and people care about it and we can pitch on it, we can do a show on it, etc. Versus this is actually a finished game or this is act- finished game is a weird term in you know never ending updated mm-hmm. genres. But this is this is a game that is complete enough for me to know whether I give a shit or not. Right. Yeah, Uh, because a lot of these games, like we try them when they come out and they get a lot of hype and we're like, yeah, this is interesting. I will come back when it's when it's ready. And what is ready? We don't know. Three years later, three months later. Um, And, you know, another game I'll put in that that category, even though there's a ton of city builders and we can go through that list. But a game like Humankind, like, yeah, I thought Humankind had a ton of potential. I saw that potential occasionally. Uh, but it's also a very unfinished game in terms of like both pragmatic things like bugs and also in uh, balancing the game and also in just like systems not really being finished like religion. Uh, Religion was so neat in that game up until you got like through the ancient era and then that was it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, it, we we talk about you know. I, I mentioned when I talked to Sora, and he he said there's that four X breaking point of like where you hit too many mechanics, and I feel like humankind has the opposite problem where it needs it needs a little more meat on its bones. It feels kind of like Civ Five did on release. Right, Civ Five is my counter yeah. to Sora because <laughs> when. <laughs> That second expansion came out and it added trade routes. The trade routes suddenly made everything in the economic part of that game make sense. Yeah. Like that you had, you basically had money on the map now and that made the map a lot more interesting. And that made the economics a lot more interesting to the point where the game no longer felt like partially completed. Um, and this is not necessarily opposed to Soren, who is obviously <laughs> extremely good at what he does. Uh, it's just kind of a, yeah, sometimes that that point of hitting enough mechanics comes three years later, two expansion packs, and God knows how many patches. Right, right. And, and the interesting thing is, like, Humankind released a roadmap, I think the day we're recording this, maybe the day before... And uh, they they haven't really announced anything major in terms of like mechanical changes yet. It's a lot of balancing, and uh, they are doing an Africa Cultures DLC, which I really like from a representation standpoint. I like a lot of their picks there um, in terms of the cultures they're going to to be adding. Actually, I think it's out probably the day you'll be listening. Yeah, to this, it's but... out today, the day we are recording. So <laughs> oh, okay, unless. Yeah. Unless you time travel, we're we're good talking directly about it, right? Um, yeah, I haven't I haven't like booted it up to try out any of the new cultures yet because I haven't really seen anything yet. Uh, it's it's very similar to the, the place I am with like Mountain Blade uh, Bannerlord. I haven't seen anything yet that's like oh now is the right time to go back to it. Um, 
and I'm I'm looking forward to that. You know, hopefully will will come at some point. Yeah. Um, Industries of Titan again. They have like a nebulous 1.0 release date of sometime in 2022. Uh, we I think we mostly liked it when we did a show on it. I wasn't on that show. Um, I think we we incorporated that one into the kind of general city builders. I don't maybe, think we did a full show yeah. on it. I, I feel like Fraser it, and John it was liked not ready at yeah. release. It was yeah. I mean it was not ready as in a game we we can fully discuss. Yeah. Like I have like just on my Steam wish list, which means I don't actually own these, like I have Foundation, I have Ostriv, I have Microtown. <laughs> yeah. I have New City. I have a rail route. Yeah, yeah. I have the Immortal Mayor. These are all early access games that I could go and play right now. And I have no idea which one I should like actually go talk to PR, actually pull the trigger on uh, and buy. The Immortal Mayor looked really good. It says reviews are mixed. I don't know. Uh, But yeah, that's... That's five early access city builders alone that I have at some point said, hey, this looks like it might be neat, wishlisted it. And then I have another five or six or eight or 10 or 13 that I've actually acquired from PR or from Epic or from uh, just buying them. Things like uh, Patron, uh, Lords and Villains, which I've actually been playing and I quite like, uh, Going Medieval. Noble yeah. Fates just came out a couple months ago that has gotten a lot of interest. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely interested in it. It just didn't immediately hook me the time that I loaded it. And uh, I don't know when I should actually say this is a thing that I should concentrate on. And this is this is not simply I'm like complaining, oh, it's so hard for me um, because like I'm not trying to make a full-time living as a freelance game game critic or journalist anymore uh i am saying it in terms of like hello pr people hello fans who might wonder when or if we're going to talk about these games like there's a dozen games that are in this same boat that i'm interested in and i have no idea when i should pull them off that boat and take them home oh yeah going medieval is another one of those games where i'm like i played it I think the early game is interesting. I think the late game goals are interesting. I don't think there's enough to do in the mid game to bridge those two things. I've been waiting for an update that seems like, oh, this is when I should go back to it. And, you know, that hasn't happened yet, but I'm still kind of keeping an eye on it. I mean, um, there are a few games yeah. while we're while we're apologizing <laughs> to the fans um, or to people in our Discord. Uh, a few games that weren't early access, we tried them when they came out. Or mm-hmm. when they were initially released in early access, they've hit their 1.0 release, and we've still never gone back and like checked them out. Which includes Star Dynasties, which was a very direct Crusader Kings in Space wannabe, right, uh, right. quite interesting, um, and uh, the Civil War game that uh, I'm blanking on the name, uh, but. Uh, yeah, there was a Paradox-style Civil War game that me and Troy have been occasionally talking about checking out again and never actually gone back to, even though they hit their 1.0. Yeah. Um, um, there was whisperings that maybe Dwarf Fortress will get finally oh, be yeah, Dwarf Fortress is on my wish list. I mean... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's been... Yeah, I was in... 
Oh, that I was I was like I think my freshman year of college when I first started playing Dwarf Fortress. That feels like a million years ago now at this point. Yeah, I remember like finding out yeah. about it in the comments of the AV Club and Yeah. Before I wrote for the AV Club, so this would have been like pre-2011. Um uh, yeah, I I played like the last patch before they went to the the multi-level, multi-dimensional uh, version, and then they went to the multi-dimensional one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grand Tactician: The Civil War. That's the game. That's it. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, and yeah, and like I I was kind of off put by the the pseudo 3d version of dwarf fortress as compared to the the big flat 2d version i liked the 2d version um which is also a thing in terms of those the city builders i was just talking about the reason that i like lords and villains compared to noble fates or going medieval was that it was it was a nice flat 2d uh looked looked a little like these are these are three games that are very much uh, Rimworld, but medieval slash fantasy, and uh, the one that looked the most like Rimworld was the one I was most interested in. I actually just remembered Frostpunk Two, which is not on my list because it has a release date of TBA. When you mentioned right. City Builders, yeah, that's they don't even say twenty twenty two, so I don't even know if this is going to be a twenty twenty two game. I mean, but, I think that yeah. that that's a pretty interesting game in that Frostpunk is is one of those like strategy games that's actually broken through to the mainstream yeah in a way yeah. that at and it's not like not a strategy game like it's not like oh this is a strategy yeah. game that's also a dating sim which we discovered today uh <laughs> there is a strategy game dating oh, yeah. sim that is that's coming a genre, out that's a genre i would not mind seeing more uh, entries in courtesy yeah. of ruth cassidy who we would love yeah. to have on the show someday if they are willing but there is a game called the hundred year kingdom that is a, a strategy game dating sim on steam for release in a couple weeks i think um, we definitely should do a show on that that's too interesting a concept to not do a show on that um, um switching gears to the tactics games that are in early access or supposedly imminent that i am extremely excited for uh phantom brigade i feel like we've been talking about literally since before the pandemic i think it was at the pax that was like a week before the the pandemic started kicking in oh wow Uh, yeah and like i started seeing people like rob and jason wilson getting super excited about it uh it's like a time traveling mecca uh simultaneous turn tactics games where you like know what the enemies are doing and therefore can predict it and you're like super overwhelmed but you have this this premonition ability which has seemed really interesting and uh i'm definitely keen on trying it out when it's a full game but like everyone i've talked to said that this is this is an early access ass early access and it's not ready I don't know if that's still true. It's been almost two years. Yeah, I don't know. Since I first started hearing about it, 18 months since it showed up on Epic. And the other one uh, is Tactical Breach Wizards, which still just says TBA on Mm -hmm. a release date and has for, I believe, um, two years. I I don't remember when exactly I heard about it and added it. Um, 
added 3-12-2019. So the day before the pandemic really kicked in. What a what a neat thing. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Tactical uh, Breach Wizards is a tactical strategy game by the people who did Heat Signature and Gut Point, which are two really, really good um, kind of uh, emergent narrative uh, stealth a kind of action, kind of real time, kind of tactical games. Uh, but this one is just gay up tactics. Uh, the Steve thing says it's a small scale turn-based tactics game where you play a team of wizards in modern day tactical gear. Um, and well, yeah, this, this sounds, this sounds like a perfect, a perfect match for the developer, perfect match for our interests. And you know, it's TBA what it's done. Yeah. Um, but I that that and Phantom Brigade are like the actual two. Rowan might be ornery about Total Warhammer three or uh, Homeworld <laughs> or whatever, uh, just because they're big games and declare that these are the games of the year. Like Rowan declared Darkest Dungeon was game of the year like three years in a row. Uh, but yeah, those are those those would be my pick as as someone who seems to like most most emotionally latch on to tactics games. <laughs> I love I love my grander strategy games. You know that. I'm oh a, yeah. Yeah. But uh the ones that I, the ones that I plant my flag on tend to be the tactics. Yeah. It's more it's more on a personal scale, so I think I can see that. Or um, or you can make you can yeah. make 150 X Men. There yeah, that too. Um the other one that's that's was kind of on my radar is two point campus. Um, I feel like we all kind of liked two point hospital and then it just like went immediately into the rear view mirror. Like I never went back to it, it after it was, show. it was a likable game, but not a deep game. And yeah. there's, there's also the weird thing where these European companies come and make things about sh- really shitty American systems. Yeah, I was going to say like, yeah, they're moving on from the one unaffordable disaster in America, uh, healthcare, to the other unaffordable disaster in America, higher education. So yeah. like, you can you can see the appeal uh-huh. because it's like yeah. people have to play games with their lives in order to make these things work. Uh-huh. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, I can make a game with that. Or the prison architect is the other archetypal uh-huh. thing here yeah. Of, yeah. of things that are just horrible. Like our systems are horrible. <laughs> they don't do anything good. They cost more money than they need to. Uh, and that's that's a polite way of putting it they're fucking wastes of time energy effort that exists because of political inertia and corruption and just people are fucking evil and that's the reason that our healthcare system and our college system and our prison systems are fucked up and that's what makes them good games <laughs> um, so so these years European developers see the good game part and they make it. And I'm just like, oh, come on. Yeah. It's like, can't we make a game about something nice like genociding the light elves? It's always, yeah. It's like you and me and John and Rob just like shooting glances across the room, like, ooh. Yeah, that sure is an idea for a game. it a spin for sure i thought you know two point hospital was fun for for what it was for a little bit they were good at creating different scenarios 
it, um, it, the college yeah. campus thing is interesting just for the novelty like if it, yeah. it does fit with prisons and healthcare in that it is an american system that we've really just completely totally fucked up <laughs> but it is not one that's been in video games like uh well prison prison architect is really the only one to to take off on right. but that's probably the ickiest of them so i've never really played it in depth um but like We've had we've had multiple hospital games before. I played Theme Hospital as a teenager, uh, mm-hmm. but I don't think there's ever been like. Not I don't think there's I ever been a, a higher no. education game that I've played. I feel like I might have seen one or two floating around abandonware websites uh, once upon a time. But yeah, this is this is different and. Um, you know, maybe maybe they also got some some writers who can make the satire a bit more pointed than the kind of general. Uh, this, these people want money. That's hilarious, right? Yeah, it's it's, again, it's a concept. This potential. is also the one that I've been the closest to. Um, I for, I I haven't talked about this in a while on my Twitter feed, and I'm not sure I've ever talked about it on this show. But I went to a college that was announced as closing over a decade ago. And I went back and like threw myself fully into the process of trying to save it and thus learned a lot about uh, higher education, the trends, etc. And also like, you know, I also went to like a super hyper radical college with all kinds of crazy supposed political correctness and so on. And it was hilarious. We did, we did incredibly bizarre things, but most satire of that kind of thing is like, look, these people care. Isn't that funny? And no, that's not (laughs) funny. Um, There were actual funny things that happened. And I would, (laughs) I would absolutely love to see like a parody that got that shit right. Uh, and I don't trust any kind of mainstream media to do it. Like the only, the only character I have ever seen on TV who comes close to getting that ridiculous left wing bullshit right is Britta Perry from Community. Yeah, um, yeah. But like, I see a movie like PCU, and I'm like, no, this is this is fucking awful. Get this, get this off of my screen. You don't know, you don't know what the people at these colleges were like. They were actually <laughs> funny. They made jokes. They just also. Yeah. ridiculous well, anyway. i went to uh i went to a college in eastern kansas where the performing arts center was named after a uh a dean or administrator of some kind who was fired fired for um, sexual harassment and his name was still on that center until like last year uh so, okay so. <laughs> eastern Not, kansas uh, has anything yeah i mean it's it's the kansas side of oh, no, eastern kansas, kansas city yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Eastern Kansas. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. This is I like was thinking yeah, Eastern Overland Colorado Park. You know, for a you, second. Yeah, you know, I'm okay. sure you know where I went to college. I'm sure you've been by there. Uh, if you live in Kansas City. Yeah. But, sorry, uh, I thought you. I thought you went <laughs> Eastern Colorado slash Western no, Kansas, which no, is just an absolute a, wasteland. Yeah, that's a cornfield. That's there's nothing there. Um, okay. There's a gas station that isn't even open that probably has three to five axe murderers uh, hiding in it. Uh, that's all that is exists on the Kansas Colorado border. Um, I seventy. What up? I've done that drive way too many times. 
Um, strategy games, though, uh, there are a couple littler things that I wanted yeah, to well, yeah, try to like hit up, hit up hit up the ones that you were excited about. Yeah, uh, Baron Breakfast. I noticed looks like kind of a cute little Stardew Valley style. You're a bear who runs a bed and breakfast. That that seems like kind of a charming, interesting premise. Um, I, I'm not familiar with the developer, but uh, as far as like smaller stuff that that uh, I wanted to try to uh, populate our radar with, that seems like one that could have some potential. Um, there's a park beyond, which is a theme park sim. I kind of. Planet Coaster right now kind of scratches all of the itches that I would want out of a theme park sim, but it's nice to see there are other developers taking a stab at that. Uh, more more variety and more competition in that market is something I definitely think there's room for these days. Um, and uh, in a similar vein, Prehistoric Kingdom, because, uh, well, Jurassic Park Evolution 2 was okay as a dinosaur park management game. I don't think it was great. And uh, this this actually looks pretty good. It looks like the models wasn't there they a, have. Wasn't there a good dinosaur park one? There were like three that came out in one year. Like Parkosaurus was more of like a cutesy kind of less like hyper visually visual fidelity one that I didn't actually play. And then there was another one that came out that year as well that I can't remember the name of. Yeah, I think that the other one was the one that was supposed to actually be a good yeah, good little sim game. Uh, one of the cool things about Prehistoric Kingdom is it looks like you can have like woolly mammoths and like Prius and uh, saber tooth cats and like other Ice Age mammals, which I think is pretty cool, too. So uh, those are those will be some of the smaller games I'm keeping an eye on. But again, like we said at the t- like back towards the beginning, a lot of the games we end up doing on episodes lately, just they, they come out of nowhere. They show up on Steam. We had no idea. <laughs> and then like they end up being good. So it's kind of hard to keep a bead on what like the indies and the mid tiers that are uh, that, that we should be watching are. Yeah, well, there is one thing and I think we should probably wrap the, wrap up with this, mm-hmm. uh, which is extant games that are getting expansions that we're excited about and there's a right. there's a pretty big one to to start things off in like two weeks yeah uh royal court ck3 i've played it it's real good um it's uh it it gives you more to do it it focuses on what i think ck3 should be focusing on which is zooming in more on the court and the characters and um you know all the, the 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 politics that are going on, and and uh, it has an explicit mechanic that is basically one of my favorite parts of the Dragon Age Origins Awakening expansion. To throw it way back, <laughs> where you would have those segments where you would be on your your throne and somebody would come to you with an issue and you'd have to decide how to deal with it. That's a thing in this expansion. Did you know that Dragon Age Inquisition actually had that with like the three choices that there were in the game? They did. Yeah. They did. Uh, and, yeah. And it was pretty much possible to play through that fucker without seeing those. Right. Oh right. my God. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um. Uh huh. <laughs> just talking shit right now. Uh, <laughs> uh, Winter Palace had potential. That was, I'd like to see more of that yeah. in RPGs, but executed better. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, 
I'm pretty positive yeah, on it from what I've seen of it so far. CK3, uh, I think, is is a major, like, yeah, I, I've made my opinions on that fairly mm-hmm. clear, where there was, there was a really good foundation there that was not actually really connecting to me. And picking picking a direction and going down it uh whatever that direction is i think is is going to be a good thing for that game and this sounds like it's one of the better directions yeah um and Um, i i totally agree with you that they like part of what was great about ck2 was was sort of the difficulty curve of like becoming a king if you didn't know what you're doing was pretty hard and I feel like they have made it too easy. And I, I think that is a very uh, astute criticism of CK3 at this point. I yes. would like more pushback on being able to become Emperor of Europe. That would be nice. Yeah, it, like, <laughs> I, I don't remember if it was you or someone else who talked with someone from Paradox. and They basically said, yeah, we want everyone to become an Emperor. And I was just like, King? Maybe. Like, I could yeah. see King. Duke, definitely. Oh, yeah. uh, Emperor? I don't... I'm not into that. Yeah, but... you should You should have to put in... I, I hate to sound elitist. You should have to put in, like, a good 200 hours before you become an emperor. I mean, I don't want to say, like, X it. amount of hours. <laughs> right, right. Like... That's, that's kind of silly, but, like... Yeah, yeah. This should be a thing where you either, like, have a great plan and execute it and things go off well, or you get super lucky, or you get into it and then it collapses because empires collapse. It's a thing mm-hmm. they do. Um, yeah. But yeah, this is this seems like it's a good thing. I want more better CK3, and I think that's, you know, imminently possible given the system that they have built. Yep. It's a good um, foundation. So a few smaller games that I am looking forward to see what they do this year. Uh, Old World um, felt like a very full game and you talked with Sorin and he apparently said that like uh, it's hard to add new things to 4X games. And I I tend to agree. Like I, I saw somebody talking about Old World expansions and I was like, that sounds really dangerous yeah yeah i don't i don't know that like getting more shit into old world is actually going to help since the problem with that is not that there's not enough shit it's that it's very hard for new players to figure out which shit is important and why um so i'm interested to see like how that game gets patched i think like a content patch of adding a couple new empires or whatever that's that's something that would be great for old world i think humankind it's kind of a waste of time until that core game gets fixed um some much smaller games uh wilder myth was probably my game of the year in 2021 that was much more of an rpg than a strategy game even though it had a pretty decent tactical element so we didn't talk about it much on 3ma but um seeing both how that game develops and how other games start to look at uh emergent narrative that's really written down actually having characters who like work through the meta narratives going on in that game are are really fantastic um it could be a game that like 
like Darkest Dungeon, we start seeing like elements of it popping up in other genres and other games for years and years to come, or we just see it popping up for a while. Uh, and then a much simpler one is Against the Storm. We did a show on this a couple months ago. It was uh, a really, really strong city builder already, and seeing some additions to that, I think, will be quite exciting. Uh, there's there's potential for growth on a game that's already quite good and could make it like one of the best city builders around for sure uh is there anything else any smaller stuff that uh you think might have slipped through the filter that we should mention before we get out of Um, here well, let me just uh, say some stuff and scroll through my Steam wish list again. Oh, yes, Terra <laughs> Nil. Uh, I think we talked about this on the City Builders show that we did uh, last year. This is this is a reverse City Builder where you are trying to get rid of all the garbage and make everything natural again. Um, that's that's really neat. I I hope that game turns out well. It's on itch.io already, and I think that's. Um, yeah, so calling it a 2022 game might be a little weird, but it's scheduled for Steam this year, and maybe uh, uh, maybe will be different enough that we can we'll we'll be able to say that it's new. And uh, Dwarf Fortress, like we we sort of yeah. mentioned this, but like actually, like it seems like given time is subjective, given all these things, like when it was announced as coming to Steam. Uh, People were like, yeah, I mean, it okay, Steam, but it is Dwarf Fortress. Now it's been, you know, 15 months since then. And yeah. that that feels like it's the amount of time to actually kind of get it get it down. Um I would I am very excited to see a like aesthetically improved Dwarf Fortress with the designer's blessing on Steam. Uh and I think it's entirely plausible, not not guaranteed, uh, but entirely plausible that it does happen this year, and uh, that'll be neat. Yeah, and I'll throw a shout out to John too, and say uh, maybe we'll get a 1.0 for workers and resources this year. Okay, uh, they don't seem to be in a hurry, but I do remember it was either Ian or Mike last episode mentioned that they finally added like police and political loyalty which I think were the biggest... I, I want to go back now, because I think those were the biggest pieces of that puzzle that were missing. Um, you know, if, if, you're, if you're managing a Soviet Republic, politics and law and order are kind of important. Um, so that's one I'm yeah. looking forward to going back to. Uh, <laughs> at some Coca-Cola point. Coca-Cola yeah. and Blue Jeans invading your perfect republic. Exactly, yeah. Uh, um, you know, the uh what what did did you get pizza hut yes what did it cost everything that's my favorite gorbachev meme uh Uh, so oh yeah one last one last thing that i expect to see in 2022 is an announcement of what the fuck creative assembly are doing with three kingdoms yeah back to where we started like what the fuck like this 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 is a really weird situation where they had a very successful game and they just said, we're not helping it anymore. They'd actually perhaps made it worse over the past, the last few expansions because they were kind of going through the motions 
instead of doing doing new and exciting things. And they said, yeah, we're done with this. We might, or we are coming back to the Three Kingdoms era. And that's it. That's it. Yeah. It'd be nice. Be nice to know what's going on there. Um, but I think that we'll probably wrap it up there for this week. Uh, as always, uh, Three Moves Ahead is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can go uh, join the discussion on our forums if you're still into forums uh, at idlethumbs.net slash 3MA. Uh, you can also give us a shout out on Twitter uh, where we are at 3MA. Let us know what smaller strategy games are on your radar this year and, and you think uh, we should be paying attention to. Um, as always, 3MA is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. That is patreon.com slash 3MA where you can earn all kinds of uh, cool privileges like being on our Discord server and maybe playing some multiplayer games with us. And uh, we always appreciate that. Uh, this episode was produced by me. Um, or robot. Unless, some, unless something horribly goes horribly wrong in the next 24 hours, um, which hopefully it won't. Uh, I might have just jinxed it. We'll see. We're experimenting uh, with Zencaster, so this ro- this might have been robots combined with with yeah what? yeah getting some uh some some ai assistance uh see how that goes so um and we'll be back next week with another episode of 3ma uh probably about expeditions rome is currently what is on the docket uh so uh for rowan this is len saying good night <laughs> <laughs>